Hello and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm K.W. Taylor. And I'm Carrie Gessner. And this week we're talking about three TV series, Superman and Lois, Hacks, and The Nevers. That's right. Yeah, I'm excited about all of these. So you've been watching Superman and Lois. I have not started it yet. So tell me all about it. Yes. Yeah. I obviously, since I'm talking about it, I really like it. (laughs) (laughs) But I wasn't really sure what to expect when going in. And honestly, as much as I like superheroes, I'm a little bit overexposed to them. (laughs) Oh, you know, yeah, there's just so much out there to consume now. Mm hmm. But I gave this one a shot, and I honestly ended up really, really liking it. So it follows, obviously, Superman, Clark Kent, um, who's played by Tyler Hecklin, and Lois Lane, who's played by Elizabeth Bitsy Tulloch. <laughs> and I just love that she goes by Bitsy. <laughs> Bitsy. <laughs> She's from Grimm and some other shows that I've seen bits of. Yeah. Bits. Bits of Bitsy. <laughs> and they have they have been in a few episodes of the crossovers and a few episodes of Supergirl so far. Okay. Which is why it's it's honestly a little bit confusing because I think what they're trying to do is sort of make a break from the Arrowverse. Oh. Yeah, because the last crossover that we talked about on here actually was Crisis on Infinite Earths. And what happened was... It's all honestly very confusing. All superhero stuff is really confusing. (laughs) But what happened was all of the multiverses got smushed into one. So there's only one universe now. And I don't know if... Yeah. Like I said, very confusing. (laughs) Because like before that happened, all of the superheroes were on different universes. So they had to do things like Barry had to cross over, cross through universes to get Takara show and different things like that. So I think they were like, let's make this easier and just smush them down into one. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if it stems from that or if it's actually like a more deliberate break. Because the show is set about 15 years into the future. Because the last time we saw Clark and Lois, they had just had a baby boy named Jonathan. And in this universe, they have twins named Jonathan and Jordan. And they're 14 years old now. Oh. So we jumped some time. It was honestly, I was like, what's the, what's going on? But the pilot, oh. sort of, the pilot is really good at like being like, here's the universe we're in. And here is their backstory. I think it's a, it's a really good pilot. I just am not sure where it sort of fits in the Arrowverse yet. And maybe that's just me. Okay. Maybe I don't pay enough attention. But anyway, <laughs> that's a lot of backstory that you don't really need (laughs) for the show (laughs) but what happens is they've got 14 year old twins and jonathan is sort of like a golden boy he's a football player he's a quarterback he's very popular jordan is less popular he explicitly has an anxiety disorder Mm -hmm. so he has some like emotional issues and he struggles with making friends and all of that stuff. Clark's mom, Martha, dies in the first episode. And they go out to Smallville from Metropolis for the funeral. And they decide, Clark and Lois decide to stay in Smallville. Because Clark has been a little bit absent and Lois wants him to be a better dad. Not absent on purpose or like 
in a cruel way, but just he's been out saving the world, you know? Yeah, well, that's going to happen. Yeah, he's Superman. He's Superman. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, maybe this is a chance to restart. We can live like a quieter life. He, he still obviously does Superman stuff, but it's a little bit easier for him to be around and, and be a good dad and all that stuff. So they start over and the kids are not happy about moving to Smallville. But they meet some new friends, and one of the boys, and I'm not going to tell you which one, turns out to have superpowers. Oh. So it very much becomes a family drama because you've got Clark dealing with being Superman and being a dad. And honestly, Tyler Hecklin as a dad is, like, super cute. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, he's got, <laughs> like, really nice emotional moments with his sons. And I think Tyler and Bitsy are, like, really cute together. And you can see that Clark and Lois really love each other. And they're just going through some issues about, you know, being so busy and raising boys. And it's just really sweet to see their relationship, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's honestly the biggest thing that has attracted me to the show. Because a lot of the superhero stuff that I've been watching... Like, you've got a single superhero like Kate Kane or Ryan Wilder from Batwoman, or you've got a, a group of single people, like in Legends of Tomorrow or something, and there's sort of a found family aspect to some of those. Mm -hmm. But it's a much different dynamic when you've got an actual biological family. Mm -hmm. So I just think that it was a really interesting approach. Because they could have easily just made it Superman and Lois being 20-somethings in Metropolis. And mm -hmm. like that, I think we've seen a lot of that before. Well, yeah, I was going to say that was the premise of the old Lois and Clark show from the 90s was yeah. that they were young and still working at the Daily Planet and just starting to fall in love. Right. So yeah, we've seen that. And I loved that show. That was one of my favorite shows of that era. Yeah, I actually watched that when I was a kid sometimes. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. The thing I saw in high school. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. But yeah, we've seen that. And it's, and it's kind of what was the cycle of the old, the really old Superman movies of the late 70s, early 80s and stuff too. So this is, yeah, this is really an interesting set up i like it yeah i think they just wanted to do something different and i i think it works really well i love all of their scenes together as a family and they don't always get along but clark and lois are really protective of their kids and when one starts to show, show signs of having superpowers it you know throws them into not disarray but it throws them another, another curveball and lois and the son without superpowers have some nice scenes together and Clark and the son with superpowers have some cool scenes together. So it's just, I don't know. It gives me a lot of feelings. Like I'm just like, Oh, they Aww. love each other so much. Aww. <laughs> and I think that's just really nice to see. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting for Superman too, because he gets a lot of flack for being like too good, which <laughs> I don't really understand. <laughs> I've never understood that. It's I think people like when superheroes show some vulnerability and foibles and are not quote unquote perfect. Yeah. But knowing that Superman and also Wonder Woman are mm -hmm. allegories of immigrant experiences, I think having him be portrayed as not, you know, totally perfect and not completely invulnerable, but as good as he possibly can be, like yes. that's not 
I don't know. We're so worried about things being edgy and dark now. Like, right. just let me have Superman and Supergirl also, to a lesser extent, being, you know, pretty stand-up people and, and exactly. doing heroic things. Yeah. Yeah. I I really love that. I think it's very refreshing nowadays, too, because we did slide so edgy mm-hmm. and I'm just sort of tired of it. I'm like, the world is so dark. <laughs> I want something fun and nice. Yeah. And I want to see good people on my screen, you know? Yeah. Understandable. So I'm really into it. The one thing I did want to mention is it's called Superman and Lois. So, so far, I think I'm only on like episode six and I think eight have come out so far. Mm -hmm. But so far, Lois has a very interesting storyline. I'm happy that she hasn't been pushed to the side. She starts out, obviously, as a reporter in Metropolis. And when they decide to move to Smallville, she's okay with that. She needs a change. And she ends up going to the local paper and working for them. And the local paper is run by a woman named Chrissy, who's just like, she's really young. And like, she's the only employee, basically. She does everything. (laughs) So like, Lois Lane comes in as this rock star reporter and is like, can I have a job? And she's like, um, absolutely. But are you sure you want to work in like this tiny Smallville paper? (laughs) (laughs) So it's just cute. They have some cute scenes together. And Lois is, is very into figuring out what's going on in town because Morgan Edge has come and wants to do some development. And all of the people of Smallville are very excited about that because it's been sort of a sleepy town. And people have lost jobs, but she's, Lois is suspicious of his intentions. Mm. So there's some good stuff there. And that's part of why I think maybe this is a break from the Arrowverse, because Morgan Edge actually appeared in Supergirl, I think in season three. Mm-hmm. He was played by Adrian Pazdar, mm-hmm. and now he's played by Adam Rayner, mm. and he's British. <laughs> so I'm like, oh. I don't. I don't think you just recast him and it's supposed to be the same person. I think it's supposed to be like a whole different sort of universe, but okay, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, it's honestly, I look forward to it every week. I was really sad when it took a bit of a hiatus and Supergirl came back. So it started airing again in mid-May, I think. So Mm. it's currently airing. It's very good. It's very sweet. Yeah, if you want something... That's uplifting, but still has people going through struggles. And I, so far, it's, it feels like it's trying to be very nuanced in the Morgan Edge storyline because you do follow Lana Lang Cushing and her husband and their kids. And her husband, Kyle, is very pro Morgan Edge and Lois is very anti Morgan Edge. So Mm. I think it's trying to be pretty nuanced in how it approaches that storyline okay yeah so it's it's cool i just i don't know if you want to see super people as parents this is the (laughs) show for you (laughs) okay well it sounds really cute that's on the cw correct correct yes thank you thank you for that and you've been watching something completely different called hacks Yeah, these people are not likable. Let's shift (laughs) tonal gears quite a bit. This is a dramedy. It's got very comedic moments, but there are very dramatic moments too. But it's a half an hour, so it's kind of in that liminal space there between Mm. comedy and drama. 
It's on HBO Max, and it stars Jean Smart, who we talked about recently uh, in her other sort of reinventing her career role. I want to see her win both Best Actress in a Comedy and Best Supporting Actress in a miniseries or special (laughs) at the Emmys, because these are both really good roles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Jean Smart is Deborah Vance, who is a stand-up comedian, and she has a residency in Las Vegas, but they're sort of threatening to take away some of her shows because her act is getting a little stale and they want her to appeal to a younger audience. Mm. So her agent shares an agent with um, this girl, Ava, who is played by Hannah Einbinder. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, but... And Ava is a comedy writer. She writes for TV shows, but she's recently had some controversy because she tweeted some things that were a little edgy. And so she kind of got quasi canceled. And she's also, Deborah and Ava are both not really super nice people and are at crossroads of their career. But um, Ava is 25. So she's a lot younger than Deborah. And so very reluctantly, Ava agrees to go to Vegas and work for Deborah, kind of being writing some new material for her, pitching new material, sort of giving advice and consulting with her, basically, for ways to sort of freshen up the act. And I've watched about half of the season so far. There's 10 episodes, and I've seen up through episode five. And they just do a lot of really weird stuff and (laughs) fight a lot. And there's this big generational difference because Ava is, I guess, a gen... She's Gen Z or Gen Y if she's 25? Okay. Z? I think, I don't know, actually. She's younger than you. She's yeah. not a millennial. So, and then Deborah is clearly like a baby boomer, but like a little bit younger baby boomer. So there's just these really different views on gender roles and what's sort of tasteful to actually say in a comedy act. And Deborah has this very troubled, very strange daughter named DJ played by Caitlin Olson from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And she's hilarious. She has a lot of very strange get-rich-quick scheme ideas and is very much the entitled daughter of a rich person who doesn't really know how to find her way in the world. And a lot of really strange things happen. They they have a lot of weird adventures. It's a big adjustment for Ava to go from living in LA to living in Vegas, which is just so much hotter and more uncomfortable and <laughs> tackier to her than what she's used to. (laughs) And Deborah's house is ridiculous and shows a lot of kind of clueless wealth. Like she's got an in-home soda fountain in her kitchen and not just like a soda stream, but like a full on like Circle K kind of soda fountain like you would find (laughs) at a, (laughs) like with bags of soda syrup in her kitchen (laughs) and just weird stuff like that. She's a big antiques collector. They, they go on an adventure to try to find an antique pepper mill or something. And, and just the, the amount of money this woman just drops. And Ava is just like, I'm struggling, struggling, struggling. And you just don't realize how good you have it. But then there's other things where Ava is so politically correct to a point where Deborah has to occasionally say that's really kind of, you know, you're, you're missing the forest for the trees sort of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So they're both learning from each other. And it becomes this really interesting relationship. Okay. It's very funny, but there are moments of sort of bleak darkness. There's another character, Damien, played by Mark 
Indelicato is one of Deborah's assistants, and he's very good. And one of the minor characters, Kiki, is Deborah has a personal blackjack dealer, which is also just another <laughs> like rich person thing. Yeah. Played by Poppy Lou, and she's really funny, and she becomes friends with Ava. And yeah, I just every single character has something interesting to do or say. Both of them are very flawed. You can't really say that one of them is ever right or wrong in any sort of interaction they have. Mm -hmm. It's easy to side against Deborah, though, because she's sort of the, you know, the really, really wealthy person. So she's very, very privileged. But you still see that that doesn't mean that her life is perfect. And she's obviously still struggling. And there's things that make it harder to be an aging woman in the entertainment business. And that it doesn't mean that you know everything just because you're older, though, and that Ava has a lot of points to make that would certainly make the act better if she was if she would were to listen. Oh, there's another character, Marcus, who is the COO of Deborah's sort of personal corporation. And he's played by Carl Clemens Hopkins. And he's very good. And he does house flipping on the side, which is just kind of funny that he has enough time on his hands to have a whole second career that's just as time consuming as managing Deborah's career. There's also some really interesting special effects they do with showing flashbacks and old footage, supposedly old footage of Deborah in the 70s, okay. and that they've done it with like de-aging technology. And it's, it's really good. Like, it's, it's amazing what they what the technology has come to with things like that. And it's just a TV show. So very neat. So yeah, I really like it. I think it's really funny. I think you would enjoy it. And Jean Smart is just amazing. She's so good. I don't know why she hasn't won all of the awards. She's won certainly many <laughs> awards, but she needs more. So <laughs> they should put that in her in her reel at the beginning. They'll yes. just have you saying she's won many awards, but she should win more. <laughs> she should win more. <laughs> and I'll tell you that back in the eighties when she was on the sitcom Designing Women on CBS, mm -hmm. she was very good on that, but I would never have thought that her character was a little fluffy on there and a little like the the kind of dumb blonde character. She was very sweet, but she was very much the analog of like Rose on the Golden Girls. And I never would have thought that Jean Smart would be the one of the designing women to, to do this breakout career that includes a lot of heavy lifting drama and and comedy that has some gravitas to it. So I'm very impressed at the trajectory her career has taken. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah. She's great. I, I definitely should at least watch the first episode or two. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad you're liking it so much. Thanks. Yeah. But we both have been enjoying another HBO show mm -hmm. called The Nevers, which let's just take this back in a totally different direction. Yes. Yes. This is very much, it's science fiction and there is a superhero element, but it's much more dramatic than I think the Arrowverse yes. comic book shows are. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Yeah. So it's set in Victorian London, and the premise is that there are women, there are people, mostly women, who are called the touched, and they have suddenly gained abnormal abilities. The two sort of main touched people that we follow are Amalia True and her best friend Penance Adair. And Amalia's turn is what they call it is that she can see into the future sometimes. And it just takes her by surprise. And I think at one point she describes it as feeling like she's falling and she sees a bit of the future. 
and then at some point that will come to pass. And then Penance can see um, she's Irish. I don't know why that's important, but I felt like (laughs) adding it because she talks really cute. (laughs) She can see energy or electricity, I think, and she's able to channel that and invent things. So she makes some pretty cool inventions. She creates a car at one point. She's very neat. And what they're doing is sort of gathering together other people who have been touched and protecting themselves, first of all, because there's a growing movement against them, mostly led by upper-class men who are like, this is not fair. (laughs) (laughs) And also, as the series goes on, you get a little bit more of Amalia's backstory and why people have been touched and where it came from. And I don't know how spoilery we want to get with the reasoning behind the turns, but I I feel like I'm missing something in the plot. So you might want (laughs) to pick that up. Well, there's also kind of like a, an unstable person Mm. nicknamed Malady and she is touched. She seems to have kind of like, does she have sort of super strength and stuff or I'm not even really sure. Yeah, it's really vague what her turn is, but she seems very bent on making things very difficult for Amalia, and we don't really know why. And she mm-hmm. sort of runs around looking wild, and she's on a killing spree. So that's sort of the main antagonist of the early part of the season. There's also this strange woman named Lavinia Bidlow. She's a spinster. She is a wheelchair user, and she's a patron of the organization that Amalia and Penance are trying to put together to house a lot of people who have been touched. But you also get the sense that she's not really out for good. And she's sort of like nefarious. And well, oh, go ahead. I don't know if nefarious is the exact correct word. But she's played by Olivia Williams, who is pretty great. Yes. And her brother, Augustus is, he's one of the male touched, which again, are are a little bit more rare. But he appears to have the power to inhabit birds and kind of fly and stuff, which Mm -hmm. is kind of an interesting power. Yeah, everybody's power is sort of almost kind of subtle. Some of them have a little bit more or less subtle. Some people there's a there's a girl who's like a giant, which Mm -hmm. is not subtle at all. (laughs) And she's pretty funny. And the way they are able to make her look seamlessly integrated into the scenes is pretty cool. And then there's a woman who can get you to, re- she doesn't read minds, but she just, her, her very presence gets you to just be honest with her. Mm-hmm. So you end up just kind of telling her all this stuff and you kind of only later realize, oh, you're making me do that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then there's this American guy, Dr. Edmund Haig, played by Dennis O'Hare, mm-hmm. veteran character actor all <laughs> over the place. We've seen him in The Good Fight and all kinds of things recently. And he's a creepy surgeon who's mm-hmm. experimenting on the touched. And that's one of the, he was a creepy bad guy on True Blood. But lately I've more seen him playing nice but eccentric characters. And yeah. so that was kind of disconcerting. Oh, okay. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I do. I love him. He's so sort of elegant and funny and like, he's just a really good actor. I just really enjoy him. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And Nick Frost, who's been in a lot of Simon Pegg movies, is 
this character called the Beggar King, who is sort of like he's up to no good. Sometimes he works with Amalia, and sometimes he works against her. He's kind of like a Fagin character, like from Oliver Twist. But everything is very, oh, it's so Victorian, and it's kind of quasi-steampunk. So mm -hmm. I really like all the fun little weird inventions that Penance makes, and sometimes she's Sometimes they explode and she's like, it's just a prototype. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very cute. Yeah. I find her very cute. And then, yeah. um, oh, there's, oh, Ben Chaplin plays Inspector Frank Mundy, who kind of has some connection to some of the touched. And he's a very interesting character. But yeah, I, it's a huge cast. Mm -hmm. It's a little confusing, honestly. Yes. And I, yeah. I feel like I want to rewatch this first. It's like the first half of season one. I think they got pandemic shut Ew. down so they had to yeah okay not because there was something but like they filmed right. some of this before the pandemic and then it yes. shut down production i and don't they think did some... i realized that i thought it was just six episodes no i think there is i'm not sure how many more there's going to be but the second half of that is considered still part of season one so okay. we've yeah. got a little pause and yeah we shouldn't spoil too much but i will say that going into episode six I was like, wait, what show is this? Yes. Yeah. So I, t I told you I turned it off after like 15 or 20 minutes because I was just like, I can't deal with this right now. <laughs> Not that it was <laughs> bad, but just the tone shifted so much and the, yeah. I don't know how much we want to say shifted, but everything shifted so much. And you're just like, yeah. what's happening? Okay, I'm going to come back to this one <laughs> yeah. when I can pay more attention. It all made sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you get to that point and you're like, wait, what? Just just push through. Yeah. Because it will return to what you are used to and it will all tie together and will all make sense. And I will say too, and, and we can decide if we want to get into this too, too much, that the series is created by Joss Whedon. He's had a lot of, yeah. of sketchy bad stuff go on lately, but he is no longer associated with the show. And I think the new showrunner is going to be Jane Espenson, who worked on a lot of Whedon projects, but I don't believe has any sort of bad reputation. So I'm excited to see her more in the driver's seat. And I think she started doing that with episode six. And I think that was her way of being like, let's sort of have a clear moment of delineation here mm -hmm. and move forward knowing new information and, and being a slightly different show. So yeah, I don't feel like I thought anything in the first six episodes was problematic or anything. I mean, I, I think the cast is very diverse. It's very female centric. And, you know, I think it has good things about it. But if you are concerned about Whedon's involvement, realize that he is no longer involved starting at the midpoint of the season. So yeah, I yeah, I wasn't quite sure I wanted to watch it because one of my friends sent me the trailer. And she was like, this looks exactly like something you would like. And I watched it and I was like, ooh, yeah. And then I think Joss Whedon's name came up at the end and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's that's very much an individual individual choice that people can make for themselves. But I do think it is moving away from, from him. The only things, there were some things in the first couple episodes that, put me off a little bit not enough to stop watching but i was mm -hmm. like oh this was definitely filmed by a dude uh, <laughs> <laughs> like there's there's some male gaze mm -hmm. and honestly there are just a few scenes and storylines that are very male centric and 
I didn't think needed to be as long as they were, or mm-hmm. maybe even in there at all. And I think there's probably, I think one of the reasons that I think that now is I was like, oh, that was a six episode show. <laughs> and oh. some of those didn't pan out. <laughs> so I was like, why were right. those even there? <laughs> but, oh, okay. okay. But I, yeah, I'll see what happens in the second half of the season. But I think yeah. definitely the show is at its strongest when it is focusing on the women, mm-hmm. especially the friendship between Amalia, who's uh, do we say who she's played by Laura Donnelly? No, and and Penance, who's played by Anne Skelly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think they're sort of the heart of the show. Yes, and it's interesting to see their relationship mm-hmm. shift at times and go through some hard things. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think every actor in this show, even the ones playing villains, are really giving it their all. And it's mm-hmm. a very a very well-cast show. I will say my husband, without, I didn't really see this, but he was like, well, Amalia is totally Buffy. And I was like, oh, man. And then Penance is totally Willow. And it's just like this oh. whole reframing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But then I see elements of Dollhouse, which was another Whedon show. But honestly, I really think that it's helpful to view this as its own thing. If you like those things, you will find things that you connect with. Mm-hmm. And I remain a fan of the Buffyverse and other things Whedon has created, even though I am not pro-Whedon. So I just want to put that out there. Yeah. And I think it's okay to like take the good of things that you enjoyed while still maybe thinking this person probably shouldn't run a show again. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I, I yeah, you know, I think if you like steampunk, if you like superhero things, if you like if you like science fiction that is more dramatic and you like a, an interesting mixture of things that seem like magic and science, this is right up there. I also think it has a lot more in common with Doctor Who than than I've seen hmm. people talk about. Interesting. It feels very much like 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 any kind of Doctor Who adventure that is set in the Victorian era. It has that feel to it. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I will say, yeah. as a fantasy person, mm-hmm. the first five episodes have a very fantasy feel, mm-hmm. and then it switches to science fiction very abruptly. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe just be aware of that as you're going in, because honestly, I was like a little disappointed at first. Oh. I was like, oh. Because I just, sometimes I just like things to be straight fantasy and nothing gets explained and you're just like weird stuff's happening and you're just gonna roll with it yeah but i i adjusted <laughs> i think you could call this science fantasy in a way yeah that that's yeah. that's true yeah and i think it'll be interesting going into the second half of the season to see where all of that goes mm-hmm. yeah for sure i don't know when we think it's coming back yeah i don't know yeah it's there was a planned 12 episodes of season one so we've seen the first six so i think it's coming back but it's unclear when Mm -hmm. so hopefully they can get back to filming and producing and getting more out there yeah hopefully yeah cool 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 (laughs) cool cool so next week we're going to talk about the new sarah brellis live album the hbo reboot of perry mason And we'll also have a segment on what to consume on road trips. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter. And me at Carrie Gessner. 
And you can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. If you'd rather email us, you could do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. You can also find our new website at positivelypopculture.com. And if you're enjoying our show, please rate us and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy and safe and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs>